we're especially happy to have Todd and Ann Bauman, Metro missionaries to Boston. They are in process of getting ready to transition. They're just about done with their travels, raising money, and then they're going to be heading off to the great city of Boston. And they're going to come in just a moment and minister and tell you a little bit of their testimony and also going to minister the word of the Lord to us today. But before they do that, we have a video that we're going to show. And here's what I want to do. Normally, we dismiss the children's ministry at this time. But what we're going to do is let them stay in here for the video. And then as soon as the video is over children's ministry, you can go to your places. Turn your attention to the screen if you would. God calls each of us into the unknown. He calls us to step out on faith and completely trust him. He wants us to lean on him and follow him beyond where our feet could ever take us. For us, the unknown is Boston. The greater Boston area is home to more than 4.7 million people. For every square mile, there's more than 14,000 people. I remember standing in the public gardens in the spring of 2018 when I first felt the call to step out into the unknown. I felt God was calling me to plant the church in Boston. I've been pastoring for 17 years in Minnesota. And just to give you some perspective, the city that I pastor in has about 13,000 people in it. That means that in Boston, there are more people per square mile than the entire city of Worthington. During the Great Awakenings, preachers like George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards would stand in the Boston Common and preach while the people shook under the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the epicenter of Christianity in America. But somewhere between then and now, Boston has become a spiritual wasteland. It has moved away from its deep roots of Christianity and become one of the most unchurched and post-Christian cities in North America. Many of the people in Boston are religious nuns, people who don't claim any religious affiliation. Only three to 5% of the population regularly attend a church and only about one to 2% are Protestant. However, the winds of change are blowing across this almost 400 year old city more and more people are seeing the need for revival in Boston. The question isn't if there will be another Great Awakening, but when. God is positioning Boston to see an unprecedented revival. There seems to be a momentum that is growing and a movement that is transforming the spiritual landscape of this city on a hill. And I believe God is calling us to Boston for such a time as this. We believe that much like the Great Awakening of the 1700s, the revival that God has planned for Boston will spread throughout Massachusetts, New England, and ultimately the world. I'm asking you to step out in faith into the great unknown and follow us on this faith journey. And so first of all, what we need is we need prayer partners. We need people that will come beside us with prayer and passion and pray for a spiritual revival that would bring more than it's ever been in Boston before. 
Second of all is we need financial partners. Boston is one of the most expensive cities in North America, and we cannot do it without you. I'm asking you to pray about it. Step out on faith, challenge yourself, and follow God in this wonderful adventure of reaching a city on a hill, Boston. It's wonderful to be here today. The prophet Zechariah said, despise not small beginnings because the Lord loves the start of a thing. And this is something that God loves. He loves church planting. He loves the spread of the gospel. So we're excited to be here this morning. We're excited to be with all of you. Um, and we're very thankful that we were able to be with the Blackburns this weekend. Um, we love them. And you have a good pastor and pastor's wife. So you can be happy and feel secure being here in this church. About three years ago, my husband and I were on vacation in Boston, um, and we were just walking down the street and kind of talking about the need for churches in that area when we knew that God was calling us to the city of Boston. And the first thought that I had was, what in the world, why would God call little old me? Why would he call us to a place so big like Boston that has so much need? It's a city of four point, in the metro area, there's 4.7 million people, and there's four United Pentecostal churches. From Boston down to D.C., there's over 52 million people, and yet it's the most unchurched area of our nation. And yet it's the area that's the most influential in our nation because of all of the politics, all of the governing that gets done in that area. We need to be in the Northeast. We need to be in that area reaching souls. So we thank you for letting us be with you today. Um, when we moved to Worthington, Minnesota, where we pastored for 17 years, about uh, 18 years ago now, <laughs> seems like a long time. Um, we started out, I had three kids at the time, and they were little, and so the first thing we wanted to, I wanted to do was to start 24-hour prayer. I said, we have 15 people, we can do 24-hour prayer, and my husband in all his wisdom, said, maybe we should just start with a weekly prayer meeting or a prayer revival. So <laughs> we started with prayer revival. And, of course, my faith, remember, was we're going to have people 24 hours a day praying. So I thought everybody's going to show up. We're going to have our whole 15 people here at prayer. And so we came with our three kids. I knelt them down, and it's 7 o'clock when we're starting. So I started praying as powerfully as I could so that every person who came in was like, Yes, I want to be at prayer for the rest of the prayer revival. We were going to do this for the first year. We were going to do this for one week. Um, so by 7.15, when we were still the only ones there, I was starting to pray a little bit more um, fervently because I was more frustrated. <laughs> God, please just make them get up right now and come to church and pray. But we started our church on prayer. And we ended our church on prayer, and God did amazing things. By the time we left, we saw revival in Worthington, and I know that when we go to Boston, God's going to do a work there as well because he's faithful and he does what he promises. When David went out on the battlefield and he saw Goliath, he never once called him a giant. When I look at Boston, many people have looked at Boston, many people have looked at the Northeast and said, I want to go there. We've heard stories all over of people who said, I feel a call to that area, but I just... I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't pay the price. We, we were offered this position over here, and we don't see a giant. We see the possibility of what God's going to do. So we're asking you to partner with us in prayer. Um, 
if you could stand. Everywhere we go, we ask people to partner with us in prayer because we know this, that prayer is the only thing that's going to do what needs to be done in that area. Prayer is the only thing that's going to break strongholds and take down the mindsets that are so strong in that area. So we're asking you to partner with us, but a partnership goes two ways. So we're asking not only that God would do something great in the city of Boston, but that God would do something here in Olathe, in Kansas City. Um, I believe it was your pastor's wife who told me that they have a vision for 100 churches, and I believe it. I believe that God's able. And this is just a little seed that's being planted that's going to grow into great things. So if we could pray right now for Olathe and for Boston that God would do a mighty work. Jesus, we believe you. We believe, God, your promises. They're yea and they're amen. We're able, Lord Jesus, to come before you with boldness because you've given us that promise. So right now we're asking that you would work in the city of Olathe. Jesus, that you would do a mighty work, that you would take these people here and make them into an army that would be able to win souls and teach Bible studies. God, I pray that you would take, bring them together, oh God, into a community that has grace for others, a community, oh God, that can love every person that they come in contact with until you do the work, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, that as we go into Boston, that your work would be done, that there'd be something that would happen, that there'd be something, Lord Jesus, that we begin to shake up the foundations of that city so that your word can be taught, so that people, oh God, can receive your spirit, so that they can be baptized in the name that gives them power. And Jesus, we're going to give you all of the glory and all of the honor. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Amen, amen. Well, it is great to be with you all here today, amen, in Kansas City. Me and my wife, we've always loved coming to this area um, where we pastor Worthington in Minnesota. It was just uh, pretty much straight north um, and just a little bit uh, east, so when you hit the South Dakota, you know, border there, so amen. If you will, grab your Bibles with me here today, if you have them, and I, I, I feel like God's given me something for encouragement here today. Mark chapter 10, that's the uh, New Testament Gospels, Mark chapter 10 and verse number 46 is where we'll be reading from here today. Amen. Thank you very much, Pastor, to, for allowing me to be here and uh, be with you all. And thank you, church, for showing up and being here. Um, isn't it great just to be in the presence of God? That we can have a place where we can come together because wherever God is, anything is possible. Anytime we call on his name, anytime that you're facing a situation, I want you to know that God is able to do great things. And sometimes all it takes is you and I saying, I believe it, and calling on his name, and God can speak one word, and it doesn't matter what you're facing here today, it can change. It can change just like that. Amen. So here found in Mark chapter 10 and verse number 46, it says this. And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And I simply entitled this, if you want a title for it, is Begging for Change begging for change. Let's pray one more time here together. Lord, I, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Lord God, for each and every person here today. I thank you, Lord God, for your presence that we've already felt here today. 
But God, I pray, Lord, that here today, Lord, that you would give us uh, strength and encouragement and direction. Uh, I pray, Lord God, that here today you would set anybody, uh, Lord, that is facing a situation that you give them courage and hope and love, Lord God, here today. I pray, Lord God, Lord, let it not be my words, but let it your your words that bring life, God, into every situation. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Look to your neighbor and say, today. Amen. You may be seated. To kind of give you a backdrop of this story, what's happening here is that blind Bartimaeus, he was uh, uh, blind from birth is that the way that it seems, and, and it seems like he was a, a beggar all his life. And he would sit by what would oftentimes be is they would sit by an area where a lot of traffic would come through because obviously as a beggar, it's all about what you're going to receive that day. It's all about what you put into your cup. You're going to have a good day if people put something in your cup, and if you get nothing in your cup, it's not such a good day. Uh, and it's a feast or famine type of an experience. And, and so the beggars would line up in the area where the marketplace or where the gates were. And, and as people would come and go from the city and the crowd and, and who was coming in and who wasn't. And, and sometimes it would be announced if there was somebody famous and, and people would be gathering to see. It was kind of more like almost a, a fair, if you will, kind of activity and event. And, and so here we find the story that Jesus is, is there in the city and people were talking and and blind Bartimaeus was sitting on the sideline and he heard that it was Jesus and when he heard that it was Jesus he began to cry out see I believe that Bartimaeus got to the place where he was sick and tired of being a beggar Sick and tired of just being a victim of his circumstances, of his life, uh, feeling like there was nothing uh, that he could do. See, in our, our world today, there's a victim mentality, if you will. There's a, a spirit that wants every human being to be a victim, to feel like you're a victim, to feel like you can, that you have to be a beggar mentality. See, a beggar mentality is this. It's when it's always based on what somebody else is going to do for you. See, life is always based then on what somebody else is going to do for you. You would be a better spouse if you had a better spouse. That's a beggar mentality. It's a beggar mentality. Well, if they're in a good mood, then I can be in a good mood. That's a beggar mentality. It's always based about what somebody else will do for me. I would be a better employee if I had a better boss. I would be a better boss if I had better employees. That's a beggar mentality because it's always based on what somebody else will do for you, what somebody else will put into your cup. But see, the scripture talks about the fact that we are supposed to live as victors. His church, his people are supposed to live as victors. But you can't live as a victor and as a victim at the same time. You're either a victor or you're a victim. The Bible even says this in John chapter 10, verse number 10. It says this, that it says that Jesus speaking this, he said, The thief come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, But I have come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. See, folks, I believe that God came so that you and I could live right now in this present world and life and life more abundantly, and it should not be based on what's happening outside here. 
Because if we're not careful, we have a beggar mentality, and we even bring it into the church. We bring it into every relationship that we're in, and it's always about how they're going to treat us. It's always about what somebody else is going to do, and, and we expect somebody to always do something for us. And if they don't, we're disappointed, we're unhappy, and, and, uh, uh, and we, we get into a cycle of a victim mentality where now that in our world today, even people brag about all the problems that they have. They wear it like a coat over them. It's, it becomes their identity. And God says that we've all came to the place, we all have gone through life where we've experienced the robber, if you will. We've experienced loss. We've experienced pain. We've experienced, uh, if you will, the enemy, the adversary, trying to destroy relationships and, and things in our life and seal things away. I'm not trying to minimize what you've gone through, but how many of us can really say today that we're living a life of life and life more abundantly? See, these two things are true at the exact same time. It is true that there's an enemy, and it is true that life isn't easy and life isn't fair. But the Bible says that Jesus came, he came and died on the cross so that you and I would have life and life more abundantly. And I believe that the word of God is true. And so if it's true, there must be a way of us living life that's not dependent on simply the events of life that I go through. Because if we're not careful, we can get stuck, if you will, in a snapshot of our life. We can get, snap, we can get stuck in an event that happened, and it can be all the way from our childhood, or it might be something that we're going through right now today, where it becomes who we are. There are times in our life that things happen to us, that it changes us so drastically that we view the world completely different. We view, we view people completely different. We view our family. We even view God completely different. And we wonder, how will I ever get beyond this moment? I'm here to tell you today, I believe this story has an answer for us. Because I believe that blind Bartimaeus got to the place where he was sick and tired of being sick and tired. He was tired of just living from paycheck to paycheck, if you will. He was tired of just being a, big, a beggar, kept on being just a victim of his circumstances, and that was going to be his existence. But the Bible said when he heard that it was Jesus, he began to cry out all the louder. And then the crowd around him told him to be quiet. Now, when you think about that, it, it, it's, it, it's kind of uh, funny because uh, a beggar, the only way he's going to get something typically is by making some noise, by bringing some attention to himself. That's, that's what he knew. And, 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 and then when they tried to make him be quiet, he, the Bible says that he cried out all the louder. He got all the louder. He, was, he said that from this day forward, he made up his mind he no longer wanted to be a beggar. And see, we find here then in the scripture, see, many times in our life, the devil's fine with us going through life and just existing. He's okay with churches going on and people having churches and, and even reading the scriptures. 
But what, he's, what scares the devil is when you and I start living life and we're no longer a victim, we're no longer a beggar, and that you and I live life, that we have joy unspeakable, and we're living life and life more abundantly. And I believe that in this story there are some key things that we find here in the Scripture that if we will follow this, we will break that tie of being a victim. One of the first things here that we find here is when it says that he heard that it was Jesus. And he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. One of the first things that we have to do is you have to realize you will always need a Savior. And that Savior is going to be Jesus. You're never going to be perfect. Life is never going to be perfect. You're never going to get to the place where you know everything, you've experienced everything, and, and you've somehow arrived to your own goodness. We will always need a Savior. At the very end, when we breathe, when we breathe our last breath, we need a Savior. We will always need a Savior, and we, we have to reach out to him. It is up to us to cry out to him. See, Jesus otherwise would have passed right on by. There were other beggars that were there, but because Bartimaeus cried out and said, you're the son of David, what he was saying when he said that was, you're the Messiah. You're the king of kings. You're the rightful. You're the answer. You're our Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. And he wasn't going to let it go. He didn't care what anybody said. And that brings us to the next thing is that you have to get to the place where you start ignoring the crowd. You have to get to the place where you start realizing that this, the uh, people around us, uh, there might be people that are good to you, but they're not good for you. There are people around us sometimes that like us to be a victim because it makes them feel powerful. Let me say it like this. There are people sometimes that they like to know that you're going through problems, and they like to be the one that gives you then the answers. They like to find out, oh, you're fighting with your spouse? Oh, yeah, he is so bad. Oh, blah, blah, blah. And, or she's so bad. I can't believe that. And Because they like to be the one that seems to pour into your cup because it makes them feel better. There are sometimes people around us, they like to hear all the gossip that's going on and all the problems in everybody's life, and they like to feel like they're the ones that are going to solve every problem. Folks, we all need a Savior, and his name is Jesus. There are some times that you and I got to get to the place where we start ignoring the crowd and all that's going on, because if we just start listening to the crowd, there is no more need for churches. There's no more need for the Word of God. And if we start listening to the crowd, is that, uh, you, you know, our existence as human beings is going to end in uh, 14 years, is what some people say because of, you know, environmental and, and, and stuff like that. And, and, but, but they've been saying that for 20-some years, and, well, we're still here. So what I'm saying is that you and I have to get to the place where you start ignoring some things that are holding you back from having life and life more abundantly. Because there's something that we got to break, and that's a victim beggar mentality. Because God is wanting you to embrace something so much greater than that. One of the next things is, is that you'll find here in the, in the scriptures, it says this, that 
uh, it comes to the place where then Jesus stood still and he, he commanded him to be called. And, and then he called to the blind man saying, be of good cheer, rise, he calleth for you. And then in Mark chapter 10, verse number 50, it says, and he cast away his garment and rose and came to Jesus. Now to you and I, this maybe doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because to us, uh, we, we, we aren't always identified by the uh, uh, coat that we wear. <laughs> Don't you hate that? <laughs> that happens to me all the time. <laughs> is that in our lives, the, one of the things of it is, is that when, when um, uh, we aren't identified by the coats that we wear. But back then, if you were a priest, you wore a priestly garment. If you were a soldier, you wore your soldierly outfit. It didn't matter if you were on duty or off duty. There was something that always marked you. You wore and identified who you were. And so back in their day also, they, if you were a beggar, you were given that by a, being saying you were a legit beggar. And so you had a coat. And so when we look at the scripture and it says that this is Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, what it was saying was this is that Timaeus was his father. Well, they were saying, if, if you don't know Bartimaeus, then you probably remember Timaeus. And was saying that he was a beggar, and more likely his dad, Timaeus, was also blind. And this is Bartimaeus, the son of a blind beggar. And, and if he has kids, they'll be blind, and they'll be a beggar. And, and what I was saying is this was, the, this was his lot in life. Uh, this is who they always will be. This is who they are. And there are sometimes in our life, uh, there are things, identities, uh, have that been put on us uh, that you need to cast off in order to go to Jesus. There have been words that people have said about you and to you that you need to throw off that old identity. See, the thing of it is, is you can't live past the identity that you embrace. Let me say that again. You can never live beyond the identity that you embrace. If you walk into a room because of your identity, you feel insecure, and, and you feel like, you're like everybody doesn't like you, you could walk into a room, and everybody can be friendly, everybody can love you, but because of your own identity, you only view things through one way. If you, would, if you and I, there are sometimes there are things that people have done to us or said about us or, or old family reputation that we hold on to and it becomes our identity. But it's holding you back from life and life more abundantly. And what Bartimaeus realized here is if he was going to be free from being blind, he first of all had to throw off that identity to grab onto a new identity. When you think about the story, this was a multitude of people. And here Bartimaeus, while he's still blind, throws off this coat. That coat was the way that he kept it making his money. That coat identified him as a beggar, and he threw it off. What were the chances that he was ever going to find that coat again? In the midst of a crowd. A blind guy in the midst of a huge crowd. He wasn't going to find it again. So what you have to do is sometimes you have to step out on faithful obedience before you feel it or even see it. It's scary sometimes to throw off things that are old identities. It can be our pride. It can be our insecurity. It can be our bitterness. It can be our anger. We think that it protects us. A coat protects us. And we think that it identifies us. But it might be holding you back from having life and life more abundantly. 
It might be holding you back from you getting your miracle. It might be holding you back from having that peace and that joy of God speaking something new into your life. But because of your old identity that you're holding on to and that you keep holding on to, God can't give you a new one. So we find here when Bartimaeus, uh, when he threw off that old coat and he came to Jesus, uh, Jesus changed his life. In fact, it says this in Mark chapter 10, verse number 52. It says, and Jesus said unto him, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Now you might not realize this, but the early church was actually called the way. And so when this book was written, this is already after uh, uh, the day of Pentecost. This is already past all those different events. This is written many years later. And so what it was saying here is that Bartimaeus, from that day forward, was no longer a beggar. He became one of the disciples that followed Jesus in the way. What it meant was is he never went back to being a beggar. He never went back to identifying with being a blind man. He was healed, but far more than just being healed, it changed his entire life. But it was things that Bartimaeus did. He stepped out in that faithful obedience. He, he cried out to Jesus in the midst of a crowd of people, and he said, you're the Messiah, you're my answer. And he wasn't going to be quieted by all the crowd because there needs to come a time sometimes in our life where we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that we're willing to step out and say, God, here I am. Because all of us, all of us are always going to need a Savior. So one of the last things here today that I I want to kind of bring up here is that we, we define how we define if our cup, see, the thing of it is, is that every beggar has a cup. And how we define success in that moment in our life, it, it, that's, that's the cup, if you will. A cup, it holds an experience. And there are many people that experience God, but don't have a relationship with God. There's many people that go around with a cup that you, you can define your cup. If this cup is full, then everything's good. There are some people that the first thing they do in the morning is they get up and they check their bank account, and they're like, that's good. <laughs> There's other people that get a letter in the mail and from their bank account, which is bad <laughs> because it's got red and minus and and there's some people that the first thing they do in the morning is they, they get up in the morning and they check how many likes they got on the last post that they did. And, and if they didn't get as many post likes as that they thought, they're like, oh, man, I can't believe it. You know, you know, my best friend Susie or John, I can't believe it. I, I always like all his posts and his deer isn't bigger than my deer. And, uh, you know, and, and their, uh, their uh, vacation ain't any better than my vacation. And, and people can get wrapped up in things uh, that they define success of their life and things that are simply just momentarily little blurps of life. And see, the cup of mentality is when we base life almost always on an experience. And if we're not careful, we start expecting God to always just fill my cup as an experience. I come to church simply to get my cup filled. But then throughout the day, all of a sudden, uh, what happens throughout the week, our cup gets bumped. Maybe on the way home from church today, somebody's going to cut you off. 
and you're like, man, you just lost all your Holy Ghost, that's it, I'm running them off the road. <laughs> if we're not careful, there are things in our life that when it's just a momentarily, a, a, a moment or an experience with God, when God is saying what he wants to have with you and I is a relationship, not just an experience. See, what happened different here, there was a lot of people on that day that with Bartimaeus that simply had an experience of Jesus. They had an, a momentarily experience. But what God was looking for was someone that wanted a relationship with him. See, there's a big difference between having just an experience and just having, and having a relationship. See, there's a, there's a story that goes, unfolds here in John chapter 4 and verse number uh, 10. John chapter 4 and verse number 10. This story unfolds. It's Jesus and he, he goes at noon and he's waiting by this well. And this, this well that he's waiting at, he sends his disciples off. They're going to go get some food to eat. And, and he's sitting there waiting for this lady that's a Samaritan. And, and Samaritans and Jews never mix. They were, uh, it was, you know, they were bad and, and uh, Samaritans looked at Jews as being snobby and, and, and rude and and, and Jesus, and also the fact that in that time, uh, Jesus sitting there waiting for a woman was just like, that wasn't done. You didn't do that. And here Jesus, our Messiah, the King of Kings, the one that spoke the universe in existence, is sitting there waiting for her. And she comes up, and Jesus starts having this conversation with her and starts saying, why don't you give me something to drink? And she goes, this well is very deep, and you have nothing to draw from. And, and, and he goes on, and he starts talking with her, and he starts unveiling some New Testament wonderful experience that were about to come and happen. And here we find here is that this lady, as we go on in the story, he, he starts talking with her and he says, uh, and he goes, why don't you go ahead and call your husband? And she says, well, I, have, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you've answered right, you've had five husbands. Now understand this, Jesus wasn't there trying to humiliate her. God is never trying to humiliate you. What he was trying to show her was that she was living life uh, by an experience base. See, when you're a beggar mentality, when you have a cup mentality, you can easily see, and God was showing her what would she matter, what was success to her was her relationship with a man. But the problem is when it's based on experience, and it's based on an experience, what happens is, is when that man isn't filling that cup, guess what she did? She went on to a new man. And when that man wasn't filling that cup, she went on to a new man. See, the problem with the cup mentality of living life, a beggar mentality, is we will take whatever we can to fill our cup. And we'll just move on to place to place, person to person. And when somebody isn't filling that cup, we just move on and we go to a new place. And we move on and we go on to a new place. And what Jesus was saying, it's time to get rid of the cup. Because the cup will never satisfy. And here then in John chapter 4, verse number 10, this is what he's, it says. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knowest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto you, Give me to drink, thou wouldst asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. 
See, what Jesus was about was telling her is that, and then he goes on and says, there's going to come a day where people aren't going to worship here or there. It's going to be about a relationship. It's going to be about something of living water. It's going to be about, see, if you take from this cup, if you make your life about these other things, it's never going to be enough. It's never going to be enough. See, it goes on in John chapter 4, verse number 13 and 14. It says, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water will thirst again. We were telling her, hey, aren't you still thirsty? The, the guy that you're with right now, he's not even your husband. You, you've, you've given up on just saying you're going to marry someone. You're, just, you already, you're at the point where it's just about whoever will put into your cup at this moment just to get you by. See, if we're not careful, that's exactly the spirit of the world that wants to put us into a mindset that we just got to get by. It doesn't matter how, doesn't matter what I got to do, as long as I can just have a moment of happiness, a moment of release, a moment uh, of satisfying, a moment of those. And God says, I want you to have something more than just basing it on, on an experience, but a relationship. So he goes on, he says, but whosoever drinketh of this water, that, uh, that uh, drinketh of this water, I shall give them, will never thirst again. But the water that I shall give them shall be a well of water springing up uh, unto everlasting life. What he's saying is that you got to get rid of the cup mentality because he wants there to be a well of water springing up within us. That's his spirit living inside of us. That's a relationship based. It's not about just an experience. It's not about just getting a cup, but having a spring of water that just keeps on springing up. So it doesn't matter what I'm going through. It doesn't matter what I'm facing, but there's something that I can have joy that's not based on what somebody else is going to do for me, but the one that loves me, uh, the one that went to the cross for me, uh, the one that will never give up on you, uh, that's the one uh, that he says that that living water living inside of you uh, so that it flows out of you love, it flows out of you joy, it flows out of you peace, it flows out of you mercy. Uh, see, that's what God wants us to have, not just an experience so then we have to ration it to those around us but that we can live a life truly of abundance. Instead of going, well, I don't know if I can forgive this person because I don't have very much forgiveness left. Instead of going through life, I, I don't know if I got anything to smile about because life hasn't been very good to me. See, when God is saying he wants you to have that spring of living water flowing out of us, that's his spirit. And that comes in a relationship. Let's all stand here today. See, in John chapter 4, in verse number 28, we find this portion of Scripture that says this, And the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city. See, folks, what ended up happening was this. Something changed in her life. She went from being a person that showed up at that well that day of not wanting to see anybody. She had been used and abused probably her whole life. And every event and every experience she had, it just left her feeling more empty than the last time. 
she got to the place that when he started talking to her, she was already skeptical. See, what I'm saying here today is this. There's a God that wants you to have life and life more abundantly. But it comes from more than just an experience. You and I, we gotta, we got to lose that beggar mentality. I'm not trying to minimize what you've gone through. He, he wasn't putting her down that day. What he was saying is, I've got something better for you. i got something that you're never going to thirst again. It's not going to be about having a good day or a bad day. We're all going to have good or bad days. But what God came was so that we didn't have to live under a beggar mentality no more. We didn't have to live victimized by situations in our life. They, they don't need to control us or own us. We don't need to look at ourselves in a mirror and see that old coat of saying, you're always going to be a victim. You're always going to be a beggar. You're blind. You're worthless. You don't matter. There comes a time where you and I, we need to cry out to Jesus and say, you're my Savior. You're my hope. And we got to throw off that old identity and say, I'm not going to be that person no more. I want I want love. I want real joy. I want real peace. I, I don't want just a moment of it. I don't want to just experience it. But I want it a part of who I am. I want it in my life each and every day. He's here today. And sometimes all we got to do is just step out in that faith. It's, it's scary to throw off the coat. It's, it's scary to cry out. It's scary. It's, it's a new thing. It was never happened. But you have to ask yourself, are you really living the way that God has intended for you? Or is the robber, our enemy of our soul, the one that pulls you around and so yanks on you every time? feels like your life is always crushing it. I'm telling you today, you don't have to live that way. No more. Because there's a God that loves you. There's a God that wants to breathe life into you. That you have that river of that living water flowing out of you. That's His Spirit. And I don't know if it's been disappointments or loss. I don't know what it's been that sometimes that even if we've been in church our whole life and been around the Word of God and, and so if the devil is so sneaky, he just kind of sometimes slides a, a cup mentality back in our hand. And before we know it, we're, all, it's, we're about begging about just an experience. Oh, if I could get this rush or if I could have that high or if I could experience that, then things would be better. God says if you drink of that water, you'll always be thirsty. If you drink of this water, you're never going to thirst again. Or you're going to have problems. But it ain't going to be about a cup mentality. There's going to be something that just flows out of you and says, I can have peace in the midst of a storm. I, I, I can have a God that walks with me each and every day. I, I don't know what the day will hold. I don't know what this is next week will hold, but you can walk with confidence knowing that God is for you, that He loves you, and He can speak life into it. But you and I have to step out and cry out sometimes and say, Jesus!
I need you today. God, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I need a new mind. I need a healing in my heart and in my soul. And when we do that, when we cry out to him, he's there. He's there. So today, I'm just going to give us an opportunity just to speak to him. I don't know if you want to speak to him, if you want to come to the front, or if you want to speak to God just in the, taking this, just, just this moment. Don't, don't leave unchanged today. Every one of us face a life and an enemy that's wanting to take everything away from you. There's a God that loves you, that wants to restore you. Your relationships, your hope, your peace, your joy. And He's here today to hear your cry and answer your prayer. Let's pray here today for just a moment. Lord, I thank you, Lord Jesus. God, that I don't know, Lord, what the situations are that they might be facing or what they faced, but I know, Lord God, that you're the answer. God, I pray that, Lord God, that here today that we don't leave this place the same way we came. God, I pray that, Lord, that there would be joy and there would be peace and, and there would be restoration, Lord God, from the years of feeling inadequate or, or, or insecurity. I pray, Lord God, that today there would be people that maybe need to throw off some old coats and say, I want to grab on to a new identity. I don't want to be that person that's known as being an angry person or, or a victim mentality no more. I want, Lord God, Lord, who you say I am and, and what you say I'll be. I don't want my presence, to my, my present day to be controlled by my past. I want, God, a new future that is in your hands and your will and your way today. I pray, Lord God, that here today in your lovely name of Jesus that you would move and minister on each and every person's life here today. Let your love and your peace, Lord God, just flow, Lord God, over their minds over their heart, over their soul, God, today. God, restoring, Lord God, of the broken pieces that have happened and words that have been said and events that have robbed away from them. I pray, Lord God, that today there would be a healing, Lord God, in relationships, a healing, Lord God, Lord, in their spirit. Lord God, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're our answer. You're our way maker. You're the God that we can cry out to that changes everything in our life. I pray, Lord God, that here today, just saying, here I am, Lord. I'm yours. Here I am, Lord. I'm yours. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.